Okay, so today we're going to be learning the fourth sicha on Parshas Vayikra in Chelek Yud Zayin. Now, this is a Nigla Sicha. I actually did not see any references to Hasidus, which is a little bit unusual. And the topic that we will explore is, uh, is a type of carbon called a carbon etzim, a carbon of wood. And if you've never heard of it, I guess it's a good time to, um, to learn about it. So in Parshas Vayikra, when the Torah starts discussing the topic of the carbon mincha, or the flower offering, the introductory pasuk says, V'nefesh kisakarif carbon mincha. And when a person will bring up a carbon mincha. Now, the word carbon is seemingly superfluous, is extra, because the Torah could have just as easily said, v'nefesh kisakarif mincha. So be from that extra word carbon, the Torah's kohanim, which is a medrash halacha, and we'll see later that the Gemara has the same sort of limud that it learns. So the Torah's kohanim says that this extra word carbon teaches us that all of the various components of the carbon mincha, right aside for the flower, can also be brought up uh, as its own carbon. If a person so chooses, uh, they can bring up not just they they, they can bring up. Um, Shemen, they can bring up oil, just a carbon of oil, or levino, a carbon just of frankincense. They can bring up a carbon of just uh, of, of just wine, and they can even even bring up etzim. They can, if, if they want, they can donate wood and bring it up as a carbon on the mizbeach. Right? Hayachid misnadiv etzim, an individual can donate a carbon of just wood. But the Taras Kahanim continues and explains that when a person that uh, all of these sort of extra carbonates that we learn out from a carbon mincha also has the limitations of a carbon mincha, which means that just like a carbon mincha can be brought by a yachid, by an individual, but cannot be brought is as a, as a group or in partnership, so too the carbon eitzim, right, or all of those additional sort of carbonates, the carbon eitzim also can be brought by an individual, but cannot be brought in partnership. So now the Rebbe asks, the question is that we do see in a couple of places in Gemara that it talks about a carbon etzim that was brought up as a group. Because the Gemara in Masechus Tainus starts talking about giving a list. These are the time of the, of that the wood of the Kohanim, Levim, Yisraelim are brought. And basically gives you a list of nine days that which specific families and specific days in which certain families brought up and donated wood, um, do, donated wood to the Beis HaMikdash. And it's elaborated upon what was, uh, and, uh, and, and the Gemara explains, uh, the Gemara elaborates on this and explains what's the story with these nine families, that in the beginning of Bayashani, the Jews' situation in Eretz Yisrael was really a little bit dire, just financially and in many areas, they were not doing well. And the coffers of the Beis HaMikdash were empty. And the Lishgar, the chamber in which they stored the wood in, was empty. They really did not have wood. They did not have. Uh, they did not have wood to burn on the mizbeach. And when um, and and when the yidden were made aware of this situation, there were nine families that very generously said, "We're going to take care of it. We're going to make sure that the base hamikdash is well stocked and has all of the wood that it needs." And in recognition and appreciation of these uh, of, of these nine families, the neviim at the time they decided and they stipulated that these 
these nine families will always have the schus to be able to provide wood for the Beis HaMikdash, um, no matter what. Even if the storehouse, even if the storeroom is totally full, they will still every year have the schus of donating wood uh, to the Beis HaMikdash. And the, and the Gemara brings down a pasuk from Nehemiah, which describes when this uh, decision was, uh, when this like when when this idea when this idea was instituted, where Nehemiah says, uh, that we cast lots al carbon ha'etzim for the carbon ha'etzim ha'koyanim ha'leviim ha'om this wood the carbon ha'etzim of the kohanim the leviim the yisraelim you know there were various families some of them yisraelim some were kohanim some were leviim lahavi levesi lekenu levesi vesenu to bring to the house of our God the house of our fathers leitim mizumanim at set times shana b'shana each year levair al mizbach Hashem lekenu to burn on the altar of Hashem kakosu batayra as is written in Torah in other words. This is describing how when the Nevi'im instituted uh, this, the, instituted this honor that was given to the nine families, they actually cast lots to determine on which day, each which what time or which day each one of the nine families would bring up uh, would bring up this carbonatezim. And on that day, again, this is discussed in a couple of places in Gemara. Basically, on that day, the family or some delegation of the family would come with a very significant donation of wood, uh, that, which was donated towards the Ma'aracha. The Ma'aracha was the big bonfire that they always had burning on the Mizbeach. And you, need to, you needed to have a nice amount of wood stockpiled for that bonfire. So they would donate a nice amount of wood for the Ma'aracha. And some of it, it seems like some of it was actually brought on the Mizbeach. Um, and uh, and uh, this, this idea is called a carbon, carbon eitzim. So the rabbi asked the question, didn't we say that a shutvus, that you're not allowed to bring carbon eitzim as a group? Uh, seems to be, it certainly seems to be that this family, that these nine families brought it up as a group. So this is our like first and foremost, the primary question of the Secha, to understand how the nine families were allowed to bring up their carbon etzim as a group. So in Ice Bays, the Rebbe says that really the simple answer that is often given for this is that it's two different things, right? When the Taurus Kahanim, or the Gemara, as we'll see later, when it says that, um, so when the Torah's Kahanim says that uh, you're not allowed to bring up a carbonatesim as a group, it's talking about something different than what these nine families did. So there's a carbonatesim. The Torah's Kahanim is talking about a real carbon, right? An offering of wood that's brought on the Mizbeach and is considered a carbon. An individual may bring that, but not a group. A group is not allowed to bring that up. Whereas these nine families, what they brought was not a real carbon. It was, it was basically a donation for the Beis HaMikdash, right? They're donating wood towards the Ma'aracha. Perhaps some of it was even placed on the Mizbeach, but it wasn't considered like a real carbon. Therefore, it was allowed to be brought as a group. So that's like the basic, simple answer that can be given that can be that's uh, that's sometimes given to answer this question, but the Rebbe says that this answer is clearly not enough because if you look at a different Gemara, there's a Gemara Menachos in which we see that it's really more complicated than that. So in Gemara Menachos also discusses this concept of carbon eitzim and brings down the same sort of teaching as the Medrash um, from the pasuk of the Nefesh Kisakriv Carbon Mincha, right, and commenting on the extra word carbon. 
carbon and says from the word carbon milamed we learn that you are allowed to donate wood for the mizbeach meaning right again the same sort of teaching that just like uh, because that from the extra word in the pasuk regarding the mincha we learn that any anything that's brought along with the carbon mincha may be donated uh, as may, may be donated as its own carbon right so from the extra word carbon we learn this idea that an individual may bring a carbon eitzim. And interestingly, the Gambara brings another proof. Another proof for the idea of carbon eitzim is this very same pasuk from Nehemia, which we mentioned earlier. And it also says, right? We cast lots for the carbon ha'etzim. So it brings sort of two proofs for this idea that a person is allowed to donate and bring up a carbon ha'etzim. So that's the opinion of the Rabbanan, of the Chachamim. That's what the Chachamim say. There is a concept, you're allowed to bring a carbon ha'etzim. Now, there's an, uh, then now, now we have a second opinion of Rebbe, of Rebbe Yehuda Handasi, who his opinion is sort of even stronger than the Chachamim. He says that when somebody brings up a carbon ha'etzim, it is, it's not just like wood that's brought on the Mizbeach that we call a carbon, but it is a carbon gummer. It is literally a complete carbon in every respect. And the entire process, all the details that are done to the carbon mincha will also be done to this carbon of wood. So literally, it would need melach. It would need to be salted, right? Just like you would put salt on the mincha, you need to put salt on this wood. It would need hagasha. You would need to like present it first on a certain corner of the mezbeach, just like you did to a carbon mincha. And some add, according to Rebbe, you would actually need to do kmitza. Just like when it comes to a mincha, the kahin would have to kind of take a fistful uh, from that flour offering and bring that up first on the mezbeach. Even the wood, they would have to chop it up into small pieces and the kahin would do kmitza, Take a fistful of that and put it on the mezbeach. It would even need wood. Just like a carbon, any carbon or carbon mincha, you need to have wood burning and place the carbon on top of the wood. So the carbon of wood also needs to be placed on top of wood. So literally all of the details, the entire process that would be done to a carbon mincha would need to be done to the carbon eitzim. So again, Rebbe sort of has this even stronger opinion. Not only is there this idea and a concept in halacha that a person can bring up a carbon eitzim, but it is an absolute carbon in every respect and in all of its details. So the rabbi points out that an interesting thing that we see here is that the pasuk from Nehemiah that describes the offering of, of the nine families is used as a proof for this whole concept of carbon eitzim. Right, which sort of undoes the answer that we gave previously, right? Because um, if this is so, if we're saying that if the if this uh, whole story of the nine families is the same concept as a carbon eitzim, then our original question remains: and how are they allowed to bring it as a group? And if we're going to say that, oh no, it's not really a carbon. No, that doesn't make sense because the Gemara brings this pasuk as a proof for the whole concept of carbonates. Right? So obviously there is more to this story than 
perhaps we initially thought. And we're going to need to understand this on a deeper level. What's the whole idea of the carbon atrium and how are these nine families permitted to bring up this carbon as a group? So basically, our first question stands. And the Rebbe adds a second question over here, which is we want to understand a little bit more the machloikas or the difference of opinion between Rabbanan, the Chachamin, and Rebbe. Uh, they seem right there, they're, 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 uh, they, they have this difference of opinion over here. And the interesting thing is it seems like their basis, they're both, their, their basis is both the same two psukim. Like they're both basing their opinion. Rebbe's not bringing his own proof, right? They're both basing their, their opinion on the same concept, on the extra word carbon uh, when it comes to the pasuk about the mincha and the pasuk of the in Nehemiah. So they're both sort of basing their rationale on the same two sources. So why is it that they have two different views on exactly how much of a carbon is this carbonate? Right, so that will be the second, second question to try to understand the uh, difference, the plukta, the machloikas between Rebbe and Rabban. Okay, so in Ice Gimel, the truth is it could be a little bit of a tangent. I can really skip it and you'll still understand the whole sicha. I might just go through the idea very quickly. Um, and if you understand it, great. And otherwise, that's totally fine. You'll still understand the sicha. And Ois Gimel, the Rebbe is just bringing down another answer that some Mepharshim give uh, to, uh, to explain how these nine families were allowed to bring together uh, this carbon eitzim. And the Rebbe rejects this answer. So there are a couple of Mepharshim that basically say that not everyone agrees that the carbon eitzim may not be brought as a group. So not everybody agrees. There are two opinions. Um, one opinion, meaning the opinion, the, the, the opinion that holds that a carbon eitzim is not allowed to be brought as a group is the opinion that learns out the concept of a carbon eitzim from the pasuk regarding mincha, meaning the same teaching we, taught, we, we learned earlier, right? The pasuk says, nefesh kisakriv carbon mincha, the extra word carbon teaches us something extra that you're also allowed to bring a carbon eitzim. But again, so so according to that opinion, carbonatesim has the limitations of a mincha and may not be brought as a group. But there is a different opinion. There's a different opinion from that that says that we learn that you're, we learn about the idea that a person can bring a carbon of just oil or a carbon of just wine from a different pasuk, not from the pasuk regarding mincha, but from a different pasuk which is in the con, which is uh, uh, which is uh, talks about the topic of nisachim of the libation that are poured on the Mizbeach. And this Pasuk, it basically because there's like a Pasuk that the entire Pasuk seems to be extra, um, that it just says, Kol ezrach yase every Jewish citizen should act like this. Um, there's like a Pasuk that just seems to be entirely extra. So this Pasuk teaches us that you're allowed to, uh, that a person is allowed to bring up just oil or just wine as a carbon. So there are some of Farshan that say, Oh, perhaps this opinion 
also says that we can bring, even though this is not explicitly mentioned in Gemara, but perhaps according to this opinion, we say that we learn out the idea of carbon etzim also from this pasuk. And therefore, it doesn't have the limitations of a mincha, and therefore, it could be brought up um, as a group. So some say that there is an opinion that says that carbon, the carbon etzim may be brought as a group. But the Rebbe says that this is not a good enough answer for two reasons. First of all, the pasuk from Nehemia, right, that discusses the nine families and, and, and says that they cast lots for the carbon etzim. This is a pasuk from Tanakh. Nobody can disagree with this pasuk. So um, how we still are left with our original question, according to the first opinion, that you're not allowed to bring it up as a group, how do they explain this pasuk? Right? It doesn't actually take away um, our, our initial question. And aside for that, the Rebbe says, this is not actually the second opinion that we learn out the idea of a carbon shemen or a carbon yayin from a different pasuk um, is not actually of the opinion that you could bring up the carbon etzim as a group. It's incorrect to say that because this second opinion is actually the opinion of Rebbe, of Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. And according to Rebbe, it's very clear that the carbon etzim has all the limitations of a carbon mincha, right? He's the one that delineates and says that when you bring a carbon etzim, all the entire process, kmitza, everything that's done to the mincha must be done to the carbon etzim. So according to Rebbe, um, it's obvious that a carbon etzim would have the limitations of a mincha and may not be brought as a group. So again, the Rebbe brings a different suggested answer that's, um, that some Mepharshim give, and the Rebbe says that that is not a good enough answer. So our first two questions, our questions still remain. We want to know how these nine families were allowed to bring it as a group, and we want to understand the rationale or the difference of opinion between Rebbe and Rabbanon. Okay, now before we start getting to any answers, in Ois Dalid, we are going to um, look at a couple of other uh, a couple of other pirushim, and we'll ask yet another question. So in Ois Dalid, the Rebbe actually brings a few uh, a couple of explanations or actually a few explanations, um, regarding the actual carbon that these nine families, specifically the carbon etzim that these nine families brought, right? There were nine times a year that a special, that a certain select family would come and bring, donate wood to the base of Mikdash and bring a carbon etzim. But what exactly did that entail? What type of carbon was it? There are uh, various explanations. So firstly, the Rambam explains uh, the Rambam explains that when this family's appointed day would come, they would, first of all, beforehand, they would go to the forest and they would chop down the wood and they would prepare a very large amount of wood. And then they would send a delegation uh, to the base, to the base Hamikdash and offer, right, bring up and hand over their wood um, to hand over the wood towards the Ma'aracha. And on that day, they would bring up Oilois Nidava. They would bring up voluntary, right? Oilas, um, carbon oilas, and uh, they, that day the Rambam Moses says this is also brought down from Gemara was a great day of celebration for this family. There was a yomtiv for them. In fact, they were not allowed to. They could keep like almost like the laws of a yomtiv. They were not allowed to mourn. They were not allowed to fast. Uh, the Rebbe doesn't. Uh, this is not in the body of the sicha over here, but in the unedited, um, in the unedited sicha, the Rebbe actually brings down how it even pushed off tish 
relationship of. There was one family that would bring up their would bring up this carbon um, on Tisha B'Av, and they would not fast on Tisha. They would not fast on Tisha B'Av. Um, so it was like a, a very strong yamta for them the day that they would come and bring the carbon. And the Rambam says these oilus nadelva. That is what is that that was called the carbon eitzim. So an interesting opinion that the Rambam has. He says the carbon eitzim was not actually wood. The carbon eitzim was the oilis or the animals that were brought up in honor of the wood donation. That's the Rambam's opinion. However, we have a different opinion of the Ritva. The Ritva, the, the Ritva explains that on the day that they, would, that they would bring basically a large amount, right? They would go and donate a large amount of wood. And then they would take some of the wood, a small portion of this wood that they donated, and they would bring it up on the Mizbeach. And that was called the Karban Eitzim, meaning the Karban Eitzim was actually wood, part of the wood that was brought up on the Mizbeach. Now, when Rashi explains about this carbon eitzim, Rashi is actually a little bit ambiguous. It's not so clear exactly what type of carbon it is. Rashi basically says that on the day that they would donate, on the day that they would, uh, I, can, I can find the words and I can read it out loud. Um, the rabbi brings down two different Rashis. It's the same sort of idea. It says, this is one. The Jewish families that had set days before each year, to bring wood to the mikdash, right for the ma'aracha towards this fire on the mizbeach. Um, so they would donate the wood, and they would bring a carbon eitzim with them. It's a different Rashi now. I'm not saying it. Um, oh, the other Rashi. The Koyhanim, or the, the nation, would donate wood. And they would bring a carbon on that day. Right? So Rashi does not actually explicitly say what the carbon is. Rabbi Siv says, at first glance, it seems like Rashi is aligned with the Rambam. He says, when they would bring the wood, when on the day they would donate the wood, they would bring a carbon. So at first glance, it seems to be more aligned with the Rambam that the carbon was not wood. The carbon was something else, some animals or whatever uh, that they brought in honor of this, in, in honor of this donation. But the, the Rebbe asks over here, I guess I'll just lump it all together into one question. We'll call it question three. We want to sort of hone our understanding of these three opinions. We want to understand the basis of the Rambam's opinion. The Rambam says that the carbon eitzim was animals, was oilum, right? It was not wood. So where's the Rambam getting this from? From. Don't we call it a carbon eitzim? Don't we call it a carbon of wood? Where is he getting this from that it was actually a oila, that it wasn't actual wood? And we want to understand the opinion of the Ritva. The Ritva says that the carbon was wood, that they actually brought wood on the Mizbeach as a carbon. Well, let's understand a little bit more where he is getting th- this from, right? Meaning if the whole purpose and goal of this, of what this family was doing was to donate wood towards the Ma'aracha, right? Put a lot of wood to stock up really uh, the storehouse of wood. Why, why are we saying that they for sure brought it on the Mizbeach as a carbon? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the basis of the Ritva's opinion? And we also want to hone our understanding of Rashi. According to Rashi, what type of carbon did they bring? All right, so again, question three, I'm just lumping it all together into one question. We want to understand the various different opinions as to the type of carbon that these nine families brought. 
Okay, now in ice hay, we're going to start getting to our answers. But firstly, the Rebbe brings down and elaborates a little bit on the opinion of Rabbanon. If you remember, we said in Gemara Menachis, when it talks about the concept of the carbon Eitzim, we said that Rebbe considers the carbon Eitzim to be an absolute, complete carbon in every respect and in every detail. Whereas the Rabbanon says, yeah, there's a concept called carbon Eitzim where wood is brought on the Mizbeach, right? But it's not like a complete carbon. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an absolute carbon like Rebbe believes. Uh, so we saw that there were two different opinions. So the rabbi says, even according to Rabbanon, there are two ways of explaining, uh, of, of, there are two like opinions or two ways of explaining uh, what the Chachamim's explanation is. One interpretation is brought from, is brought by Rabbeinu Gershom, where Rabbeinu Gershom basically says, that the carbon atium is when somebody right offers and donates right he offers wood and puts it on the mizbeach but this wood that's brought on the mizbeach is basically it is a machshir let me just get the exact it's in the category of what's called machshire carbon meaning it's there to facilitate carbonis that wood is not considered its own carbon it's brought on the mizbeach it's added to the ma'aracha, but it's the idea is to facilitate carbonis, that once you put the wood on the fire, somebody else who's bringing a carbon will be able to place their carbon on top of this wood. Uh, but this wood is not really considered a carbon on its own. It's a machshir, it's a, it's a, it's a machshir carbon. That's one way of interpreting the Rabbanon's opinion. There's another interpretation brought down by the Ravid that the Ravid holds that the wood brought on the Mizbeach is considered its own carbon, right? It doesn't matter if it's going to be, it's, it's going to help burn a different carbon or not, whether you're, it, it's, you, you know, there's no need to start putting a different carbon on top of it because the wood brought on the Mizbeach is its own offering and is its own carbon. Again, even according to the Ravid, this is not the same opinion as Rebbe, because he says, okay, you know, you don't have to salt it, and you don't have to do kmitza, and you don't have to do the entire carbon process, but it's the idea, wood, that you're bringing on the Mizbeach as its own offering. All right, so again, two ways of understanding, uh, even according to Rabbanon, there are two ways of understanding what the carbon eitzim, uh, what the carbon eitzim would be. And now we can start answering our questions. Uh, we're going to start by answering the second question, which was, what is the basis between the difference of opinion, the machloikas, between Rebbe and Rabbanon? And over here, the Rebbe answers that really we see in many places in Shas, in many places in Gemara, where Rebbe argues with the Rabbanon, with the Chachamim, and sometimes even if Rebbe is arguing with one specific person, very often the source or the root of the argument is that they're going lishitase. They're each one is going according to their own approach. Rebbe has one approach when interpreting express certain sayings and expressions, and the Chachamim have a different approach. Rebbe's approach is that whenever there is a certain saying or expression, whether it's an expression that the Torah uses or an expression that brought down in the Mishnah, right, that's uh, that brought down by the Chachamim, or even just an um, expression that people say, right? When you when you're, uh, look at a certain expression or saying, then unless there's reason to believe otherwise, we interpret it kipshutai. We take it at face value, literally in every respect. 
That's Rebbe's general approach. Whereas the general approach of the Chachamim or of some other people is that when there is a certain expression from Torah, from wherever, we don't necessarily have to take it literally, right? We could have a more broader sort of interpretation um, of, these, of, of these words. So also over here, so this is really the basis of the Machlokes between Rebbe and Rabbanim. We're talking about something called carbon eitzim. Rebbe says like this, right? There's a certain carbon. We call it carbon eitzim. Um, we learn about this carbon from, we learn, we learn about this concept from the word carbon, right? Again, the extra word carbon in the Pasuk about Mincha. So we learn about it from the word carbon. We have a Pasuk in Nechemia which explicitly calls it carbon eitzim, a carbon of wood. That's the expression that's used. Unless I have a proof or a real, a real solid proof otherwise, I'm right. According to Rebbe, you take it literally that yes, this is a carbon of wood, and it's considered an absolute, complete carbon, just like a carbon mincha. So that's where Rebbe is basing his opinion on. Whereas the Chachamim say, okay, it's called a carbonatesim, right? Um, but we're, we have we can have a broader interpretation, right? There's in a certain respect, uh, this this offering of wood is considered like a carb is is uh, is considered a carbon, but it doesn't have to be in every single detail, right? So it's it's called a carbonatesim because you're bringing wood on the mizbeach. Right, you're actually bringing it on the Mizbeach, or perhaps it's even being brought on its own, right? even regardless of whether it will help burn other carbonos. So in that respect, it's similar to a carbon, and we'll call it a carbon eitzim, but it doesn't have to be a literal kipshuta carbon in every single detail. Right, so that is just to, that's just understanding the basis of that machlekes between, between Rebbe and Rabbanan. Now that we understood that, we will be able to better understand the various opinions, the interpretations of the carbon atom of the nine families. Remember we said, what kind of carbon did these nine families bring up? Um, was it actual wood? Was it something else? And we had various different interpretations. So we said the Rambam says that the carbon atom was actually not even wood. It was oilis nedava, was basically different animals that were brought up in honor of the wood. So what's the basis of Rambam's opinion? The Rebbe explains that Rambam is going according to the shita of Rabbanon. He is ruling according to the Chachamim, which makes sense because the Rambam's role is to be a poisek. That's his job. He's here to give you a psak halacha, just to give you the halachic ruling. As a general rule, a psak halacha goes by the majority, right? Whatever the Chachamim or the majority of the opinion as a general rule, that's what the halacha is. So it makes sense that the Rambam is following the majority opinion and the opinion of the Chachamim. So according to the Rambam's going according to the Rabbanon, that means that according to the Rambam, a carbon eitzim, a, a, a carbon eitzim is not a, it's, it's called a carbon, right? And it's, it's sort of like a carbon, but it's not a total complete carbon. And if that's what the Rambam believes, then the Rambam says that it must be, they must have brought up oilois nedava. They must have brought up, aside for wood, perhaps they also put wood on the mizbeach, but they must have brought up oilois nedava because if not, 
why would they what uh, why why would this day become a yomtiv for them um just to donate wood to the if you know if they wouldn't have brought up a special carbon then there wouldn't be a strong enough basis for this whole family to suddenly have this their own yomtiv that they're celebrating where they will not mourn and they will not fast um etc right if they if there's if they're not actually bringing up a special carbon it's very nice that they're donating wood to the the besamikdash that's wonderful, but that's not a strong enough uh, reason to say that, okay, now this day is a yomtiv. In order to, it, uh, and, and that's why the rabbin says it must be that they actually brought up a uh, special carbon, oilois nidava, and these special carbonos were, uh, these special carbonos was what basically turned this day into a real yomtiv for their family. So that's the understanding, the basis of the Rambam's opinion and why he says that the carbonatesim was not actually a carbon of wood because, again, he holds that a carbon of wood is not a real carbon, um, but it was a carbon oila in honor of the wood. Whereas, Rebbe first explains Rashi. Rashi, we said we were not even sure what Rashi said. Rashi was a little bit ambiguous. Rebbe says over here, Rashi, his role over his role in Gemara is not to be a poisek. That's not his job. He's not here to paskin and give a halachic ruling. His job is he's a pashtun. His job is to just explain the simple meaning of the text. Um, you know, it's it's not as pshat, I guess, as as uh, chumish because the Gemara is. Uh, the, 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 the Gemara is not exactly Pshutai Shel Mikra, but again, Rashi's, Rashi's role is not to uh, give a halachic ruling. He's here to explain more basic Pshat meaning of the Mishnah of the Gemara. That's what he's here for. So because that's Rashi's because that's Rashi's role, um, Rashi basically over here ends up taking the same approach as Rebbe. We said Rebbe just takes expressions and understands them kipshutoi. So Rashi is also taking this idea and this expression of carbonatesim and is understanding it kipshutoi. He says, this is called a carbonatesim. It's a carbon of wood. That's what we call it. That's the expression that's used. So bipastos, a carbonatesim, is a carbon of wood. Is you actually bring wood on the mizbeach as a carbon. And this is actually quite a big chidosh that the Rebbe makes uh, in this sicha, the Rebbe's interpretation of Rashi. Right? Because we said Rashi is ambiguous. It is unclear from the Rashi what type of carbon these families brought up. Um, but the Rebbe says, again, if we understand where Rashi is coming from and what his approach is, it must be that when Rashi says that they donated wood and they brought a carbon with them, that the carbon was actually a carbon of wood. Um, and the Rebbe says this is the same opinion as the Ritva. The Ritva is actually right. Ritva and Rashi are actually have the same opinion over here. And the reason they have their opinion, the basis of this opinion, is just because of uh, is is based on this more pshat understanding of the term carbon eitzim, being that we call it a carbon eitzim. Bepashtus, uh, it is a carbon from wood. Right. It's just this basic pshat understanding of the term. That's the basis of Rashi and Ritva's opinion. Whereas uh, the Rambam, who's not a Pashtun, he is a Paisek, will go according to the Rabbanan and say, no, 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 it's not a real carbon. Um, the carbon of wood is not a real carbon. And therefore, what these families brought must have been something else. It must have been Oilas Nidava. Now, in 
kind of parentheses, I think, over here in Oizvav, the Rebbe also answers our initial question. So if you remember, our initial question was, uh, that our initial question was, how are these nine families permitted to bring up their carbon etzim if they're bringing it as a group? We said a karbanetzim may not be brought b'shutfus. So how was this allowed? And the Rebbe explains again, we have a couple of different approaches. Uh, we have two different opinions explaining what a karbanetzim is in general, or what these families karbanetzim were. Um, and each, according to each opinion, there's sort of a different answer that we give. So based on the Rambam's approach, with the Rambam expo- the, the Ram- that the Rambam explains that they didn't actually bring up a carbon of wood. Perhaps they placed some wood on the Mizbeach, but it wasn't actually a carbon, right? That they didn't actually bring up a carbon of wood. Then it's very clearly, then it's kind of very obvious how this was allowed to, how they were allowed to do this. Because what they actually did was they brought a lot of wood to the Beis HaMikdash to donate it towards the Maracha. That's not a problem. That's not a carbonatesim, right? That's not a problem. You can do that as a group. And then what they brought on the Mizbeach, the carbon they brought on the Mizbeach was an oila. An oila, an oila snedava is allowed to be brought as a group. So, you know, based on the rabbi, we totally understand how they were allowed to do this. But what about the other approach, right? The approach of Rashi and the Ritva, who explains that, no, the carbon him was actually wood that they brought up on the Mizbeach. So the Rebbe explains over here, so a... Uh, a chiddush of the Rebbe, um, the the Rebbe says, okay, what what were the even according to this opinion, what did this family do? First, they came and as a family, as a group, they brought, they donated wood. That was the main thing they were doing. They donated this massive amount of wood uh, towards the Marocha, Right again, that is certainly not a problem. That's not considered a carbon. Rebbe says, okay, then the second step when they actually, when you had people actually taking some of that wood and bringing it, bringing it on the mezbeach as a carbon, it must be that they didn't that part according to this opinion that part wasn't actually done as a group that part was done by individuals so the family delegation together presented the uh presented the wood to the base hamikdash and then you had some i don't know if every person that was there or some individuals that each one took some wood and brought up them brought up that carbon eightsim on their own as an individual as opposed to this group sort of this group sort of delegation um okay so that's uh, yeah, exactly. The Rebbe does say that it's the doichek sats, that it's like a little bit of a stretch because there's no clear, there, there's no, there's no clear uh, place that says this, right? It's like a pretty, um, it, it's, 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 it's like, it's a pretty big chidosh. It's not, it's not like it's mamash based on a source. You're not going to really be able to quote a source from which you can see this. So the Rebbe does say it's, it's doichek sats, uh, but that's the, that's the way that the Rebbe understands um, how this, how these nine families would be allowed to uh, bring up this carbon if it was an actual carbon. Okay, so this is really the end of, uh, this is really the end of part one of, uh, part, part one of the Sicha. There's two parts to the Sicha. Um, this is the end of part one, and we could technically, you know, if you're, if you're sort of done, you can so you technically turn this off, and, um, uh, and, 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 you know, you've already, and, and you're fine, like you've understood the major part of the Sicha. In part two, what the Rebbe does is that the Rebbe, uh, the Rebbe expounds on this Lishita, 
hussy that he explained earlier, right? Earlier, he explained that there is a general shita or approach that Rebbe has, um, as a, as a, which is different from the general approach of the chachamim or the rabbanon, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the Rebbe, uh, Rebbe will bring down in the last few oiseis of the sicha how we see this same shita, these same approaches expressed in various different places in Gemara and brings one example from each one of the Shisha Sudarim, uh, from each one of the six categories, basically, of the Mishnah, the, um, the, the, Reb, the Rebbe brings one example. So we can, um, if you're ready, we will begin. So we will start. The first Gemara that we'll look at is from Seder's Rhyme, right, from Masechus Brachis, where there is a Machlaikas regarding how uh, Kriya Shema should be recited. So according to Rebbe, when, in order for somebody to, uh, to be Yoytze, Kriya Shema, or to say Kriya Shema properly, they have to say the words in Lashon HaKodesh exactly as it is written in the Torah. Whereas, according to the Rabbanon, you are, can be Yoytze if you say Kriya Shema in any language. You can say Kriya Shema in any language that you understand. And the Rebbe says that the reason behind these, the, the, the reason behind this Machloikas is because of these two Shitas. Rebbe says we go Kipshutoi in every way. So in order to be Yoytze Kriya Shema, you have to say the words literally as it is written, exactly as they are found in the Torah. Whereas the Rabbanon say that, uh, the Rabbanon say that, no, it doesn't have to be exactly, we have a broader interpretation. You can say words that have the same content and the same meaning of Kriya Shema, but it doesn't literally have to be the same exact Hebrew words um, of Kriya Shema. So again, it's the same sort of Shita. Never says, even though the Gemara gives its own explanation as to the rationale between Rebbe and Rabbanon, which I'll mention in a minute, we see even from the Gemara that really there's something more behind that rationale. Um, the Gemara explains that what's the Maitaime, what's the reason for Rebbe's explanation? Because when it comes to Kriya Shema, the Torah says Vahayu, meaning Vahayu Hadvaram Ha'ela, right? Vahayu Hadvaram Ha'ela, Sharon Oichi, Vahayu, meaning these words shall be. And he says, from the words Vahayu, we learn Bahaviyasun, they need to be as they are, meaning keep these words as they are. Yeah, gotta say them in Lashen HaKodesh. Whereas the rationale for Rabbanon is they say, no, 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 look at Shema. It says Shema. Shema means to understand. Meaning, if you say it in any language that you understand, then it's okay. So the Gemara gives this as their rationale. But the Gemara continues to explain that you might think that according to Rebbe, you can say words or you can learn Torah or say the words of Torah in any language, except for Shema, because Shema, it says, but any other part of Torah, you can say in, in, uh, in whatever language you understand. They said, no, 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 it's not true. According to Rebbe, Torah in general needs to be said and learned in Lashon HaKodesh, right? In the actual, um, in, 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 that, in that actual language. The only reason why in Shema it has to say Vehoyu is in order for you not to get thrown off by the term Shema. So you shouldn't think, oh, Shema, understand. Uh, you know, so in order not to get thrown off by the term Shema, that's why it has to say Vahayu. Like, no, no, these words, keep them as they are. But of course, the whole Torah has to be uh, said and learned specifically in Lashon HaKodesh. And you might think that according to Rabbanon, you, the whole Torah, the, the, well, the Torah needs to be learned in Lashon HaKodesh. And only Shema, you can say in any language because it says the word Shema. It says the word Shema, which means understand. Um, no, that's not true. 
According to Rabbanon, you can say the Torah in any language. The only reason why we have to say the word Shema is in order to sort of negate or that you shouldn't be thrown off by the word Vahayu, right? So again, when you learn that whole Gemara, you see that really... The reason why, they're, they're really the, the reason why they're having, you know, their own specific approach is based, their own specific opinions is based on their individual, their individual shitas um, and Rebbe, and, and the, you know, Rebbe is sort of focusing on one specific word. It's, it's, it's obviously it's coming from something deeper. It's not just like, oh, but how you, the, the reason why Rebbe says it has to be, again, Rebbe's, Rebbe's opinion is that Bechlal, all of Torah, should be said uh, in Lashon HaKodesh. And uh, according to, uh, according to the Chachamim, Bechlal, all of Torah, you can just say it or learn it or whatever um, in, in, in any language. So again, the rationale, the, the reason for this Machlaikas uh, is because of this Shita, because of the two different Shitas or approaches between Rebbe and Rabbi. That was Gemara number one. In Ois Tess, we give a different example from Seder Moyed, from Masecha Sukkah, where it's discussing the laws of the Sukkah. So the Rebbe said, well, we're basically discussing the minimum size Sukkah. What is the minimum size that a Sukkah needs to be in order for it to be considered kosher? So Rebbe says, in order for a sukkah to be considered a kosher sukkah, it needs to be at least four amais by four amais. Uh, basically, the same measurement that would be the same measurement for a home. In order for a place to be considered like a valid bias that would require a mezuzah, it would need to be four amais by four amais. So he says, a sukkah must be four amais by four amais in order to be considered a valid sukkah. Whereas the Rabbanon, disagree and the Chachamim say that as long as the sukkah is big enough for a person to basically sit in right to put his head and most of his body in even if his feet are sort of dangling out of the sukkah then that still can be considered a valid sukkah now what's the difference what's the rationale what's the what's the difference uh, what's sorry what's the reason behind their two different shitas the idea is because a sukkah the reason we we sit in a sukkah because the Torah says the sukkah is teshvu shivas yamin you must sit in a sukkah for seven days and the chazal say from here with that, with that uh, from the word teshvu we learn that teshvu ke'in when you sit in the sukkah, it has to be like you have to be sort of in the same way that you would live in your home, right? So just like throughout the year you live in your home, the sukkah, you should also be sort of like almost living in the sukkah, eating, learning, uh, sleeping, right? Sleeping is a different story for Chabad Hasidim, but that's, that's, what, uh, you know, that's what the Gemara explains. So the Rebbe, so how do we understand this expression of Teshvu Kain Taduru? Rebbe says we understand it literally in order for the sukkah to be considered a valid sukkah, it needs to be the same and it needs to really be in every respect like a home even structurally it needs to have the same dimensions as a halachic bias in order to be a valid sukkah whereas the hachamim say of course there's this concept of teishvu kein toduru but we don't have to uh t we don't have to take it like we, we don't have to uh, follow through in every single detail we don't have to take it literally in every single respect um so as long as a sukkah is big enough for you to sit there, for you to actually sit inside and eat and learn or whatever and do some of the things you'd be able to do at home, that's considered similar enough to a home. It doesn't actually need to have the dimensions of an actual bias. Right? So again, another example where we can see the two shitas of Rebbe and Rabbanon playing out. 
Let's move on to the next one. Uh, in Oisyud, we're they, over here we're talking about uh, Seder, in, in Seder Noshim. So there is a halacha, this is applied specifically to the situation of a man giving a woman a get. But Rebbe says, if somebody call her Oymer Almanas, if anybody ever says, I'm doing this Almanas, in order, on condition, is Ka'oymer Me'achshav. It's as if it's it says it's uh, basically it's considered that he's doing it right now. Um, and the and the chachamim disagree with him. And basically, the situation that we bring up over here is that if a man tells uh, tells a woman. Um, this is your get. He literally hands her a document. He hands her a get and he gives it, he puts it in her hand and he says, this is your get on condition that you, let's say, give me 200 zoos. Um, so there's a disagreement. When was, and, and then at some point later on, she gives him 200 zoos. So when was that get valid from? According to Rebbe, that get is valid from the moment that he gave her, gave it to her and said, this is your get. Whereas according to the Chachamim, they disagree. They say it's only valid once she fulfills the condition. And the Rebbe says over here, it's also the same sort of approach. Rebbe says, we need to take things more literally, we need, we need to take this action, the word, it's like a combination of a word and an action. And we need to take it literally. Meaning he didn't just say theoretically, when you give me this or when you do this, I'll give you a get. He literally took a get, put it in her hand. There was this action, put it in her hand and said, this is your get on condition, right? Um, so because, it, you know, at face value, that means he's actually giving her a get. He is, right? This is an actual get that he's giving her. Of course, he still wants her to do something. Um, of course, you know, he is still expecting her to uh, give him something in return or to do something. But this is the moment that he's actually giving her the get. Um, where, right, that's more taking things more at face value, kipshutai, uh, taking those words and actions, kipshutai. Whereas the Chachamim have a little bit more there. They said, you know, a little bit more of that broader and it's true he's giving her a get um you know he is giving her a get and saying this is your get but no no it, that doesn't mean that it's it doesn't mean that it's actually uh, a valid get for right now um you know they're taking a, a, a little bit more of a loose interpretation of this action um I guess you can say me focusing more on the almanas, but the Rebbe is uh, the Rebbe is looking at this from the shita of uh, f- from the shita of are we interpreting a statement and that are we interpreting statements uh, literally kipshutai or of some more sort of broader interpretation. Interesting over here, the statement that uh, the statement that's being interpreted is not a statement is not a Torah expression. It's like a statement that people say, right? Meaning, this is not saying, oh, a pasuk, how are we going to interpret this pasuk or this maimer chazal? It's just, it's a, a statement that people make. I'm giving this to you. This is your get on condition. Um, and still, Rebbe still has that same sort of approach. We're just uh, looking at things, kipshutoi, um, whereas, you know, and the chachamim are, are taking, their, are taking their, their own approach as well. Okay, in Oyster Aleph, we bring another example from Seder Nezikin and from Masecha Sanhedrin, where the Gemara discusses the halacha, the, the, the concept of me'ilah, or mo'il b'mezid. The idea of me'ilah, me'ilah basically means that if, some, if there is something that is hectish, if there is something that is um, considered holy because it's set aside for the base hamikdash, right? It's not supposed to be used for mundane purposes, right? It's just set aside for the base hamikdash. If somebody is mayo, that means that they use it for their own benefit. 
and that's not allowed. Now, although the Torah that teaches us about Me'ilah, the, not the Torah, the Pasuk in Torah that teaches us about Me'ilah actually only talks about a shoigig, an unintentional situation. Um, it says, Nefesh ki simo mal, right? If a person will basically do Me'ilah, the Chata Bishgaga, and will sin. By mistake, right? They didn't realize that it was hectic. They made a mistake. They didn't realize it was hectic, and by mistake, they used it for their own uh, for, for for their own benefit. And the pasuk says what to do. That basically they have to come to the base of mikdash and bring up a carbon to atone for this unintentional sin. So the Torah introduces the concept of meila, but it only explicitly tells us about meila b'shoigig if somebody did it by mistake. The question the Gemara here is dealing with if somebody was moil b'mezid. If somebody intentionally, they knew what they were doing, intentionally took a holy uh, animal or object or whatever and used it for their own benefit. What is the halacha over there? What is this person's punishment? So that's what the halacha is discussing. So the uh, Gemara says, hey, is it If somebody did, or if somebody uh, was intentionally did me'ila, Rebbe Oimer, Rebbe says, bimisa. Um, his punishment is death. It's believed it's misa b'deshamayim. Right, uh, it's it's a, it's a very severe punishment. But the chachamim say bazhara. It's forbidden, meaning it's a lav. He's not allowed to do it. But there's no. It's 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 like a regular lav where the punishment is malchus. Um, there's no there's no misa. There's no uh, there's no death penalty uh, involved over here. Right. So that's their uh, that that's that's their difference of opinion. And then the gemara explains why. What was their rationale? The gemara basically says that. We learn the whole con. We even though the Torah doesn't explicitly talk about Meila b'mezid, we learn about it from a method called the Gezeira Shava, because there is a similar word. Um, we learn basically Gezeira Shava from the topic of truma. There's a pasuk that talks about if somebody takes truma and uh, if if, if, some, if somebody takes truma and basically you know uses it improperly or eats the truma when they're not allowed to or if they're it, it, basically if, if somebody if somebody messes. With with truma, right? So from the pasuk about about truma, uh, because that pasuk uses the same sort of word as the pasuk that talks about meila, uh, we have a tradition that this is a gzera shavu, that there is a link between these two concepts, um, and there that, that there's a link between these two concepts. Now the pasuk regarding truma is a pasuk talking about mezid, right? If somebody intentionally messes around with the truma, um, so that's sort of like the hint or the link where we learn about the concept of me'ila b'mezid. So that's everybody agrees. There is a gzera shava, there's some sort of comparison between me'ila and between truma. What's the gzera shava? What's the similar word? The similar word is the word chet. When it comes to me'ila, it says, if a person kisimo mal v'chata bishgaga, right, and he sins, over there it's talking unintentionally, whereas the pasuk about truma says, v'loi shamoros mishmarti, right, you should basically keep my laws, v'loi yisu alav chet, so that you should not sin, umesu boy. And you will die from this sin, ki chalaluhu, if you will disgrace, right, the, the uh, truma. So there's a pasuk about truma that if a person intentionally messes with the truma, then they actually, their punishment is death. Misa so, the Gemosa, we have a tradition that there's, because there's a word chait, by both of these psukim, there's a tradition that there's a link between these two concepts. And that's where Rebbe learns that why, how do we know that a mayol b'mezid gets the death penalty? Because just 
just like by truma, if he intentionally messes with the truma, that not, not death penalty by basin, but there's misa bideisha mayin. Um, if somebody intentionally is mayo, then they also get misa bideisha mayin. Whereas the chachamim say no, it's just azhara, right? We learn they also agree that there is a link, that there is a gzera shava between uh, between meila and truma, but they say the link doesn't have to be kipshutai. Again, Rabbi says, okay, there's a gzera shava, right? There's this link between these two psukim. So if you take it like the pastos kipshutai, that means that this connection, unless we have proof to indicate, like a strong proof otherwise, the connection between uh, truma um, or messing with the truma and messing with hektish would be this would be the same in every respect. So if truma, there's misa, then oso when it comes to uh, mayo, uh, when it comes to meila, there would be uh, there would be misa b'deshemayim. Um, where, but, but the Chachamim say, okay, there's obviously a link. We have this Gezerah Shava. There's obviously a link, but the connection doesn't have to be in every single detail. It doesn't have to be that it's the same punishment. It doesn't have to be every detail. So the link is that it's Azhara. From here we learn that there is a prohibition. Right? The Torah never told us a prohibition to do it b'mezit. Here we learn that there's a prohibition, that it's not allowed, that I guess you can get malkos or whatever. But the Pasuk does, the Pasuk about Truma says, boy, it says, umesu boy. Um, and you'll die from it, meaning from it, just from truma. If you mess with the truma, you would die, but not from meila, not from anything else. So again, the Chachamim say, we don't have to take this Gezerah Shavel um, literally in all of its details and in every respect. There's obviously a link between meila and truma. That's the tradition that we have. So we cannot disregard it. There's a link, but it doesn't need to apply um, in every single, it, it doesn't need to apply in, 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 every, in every single, uh, in every single detail. Um, whereas Rabbi says that it does. And again, another place where we see, where we see them following, you know, each, each, each of them following their own separate shita. Okay. Now, moving on, in Ois, uh, in Ois Yud Beis, um, we bring an example from Seder, from Seder Kodshim, uh, in Meseches Menachis, where over here it's discussing, uh, what, it's, it's discussing a scenario if somebody made a keli for a klisharis, some sort of a keli for the Beis HaMikdash that is made of wood. Are you a Latin general? Kalim for the base of mikdash are supposed to be gold. You know they're supposed to be certain. They're supposed to be made out of metal. Um, but if somebody for some reason made made a keli out of wood, is it kosher? Is it allowed to be used? So Rebbe says Rebbe Rebbe Poiso. Rebbe says that it is. It's uh. It's um. It, I forgot the word. Poiso is in. Invalid, I guess. Invalidates it. Rabbi says it's, it's, it's not good. But Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, over here, it's not an argument between Rabbi and Rabbanan, but it's an argument between Rabbi and a specific and a specific person. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Machshir, he says that it is permitted. Um, and the Gemara explains what's the rationale, what's the basis between their argument. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of background over here. Basically, they're both uh, they're 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 both looking at a specific pasuk. Uh, where, where the Torah gives instructions regarding how to make the menorah. Now, this pasuk is structured in a way in which the Torah first gives a general statement or a general command, then gives a specific detail, and then makes another general statement. So the pasuk says, Va'asisa menorah, right? Uh, let me just get the exact words over here. Um, where are we? Yeah, Vasisa Menoiras 
Basisa menorahs, right? Make a lamp, make a menorah. That's a general statement. Then it says zahav tahar, of pure gold, right? That's a specification. That's a specific detail. And then it ends up by saying miksha teosah menorah, right? A one, uh, one block or one solid piece, the menorah shall be made. Again, another general statement. Now in the Torah, whenever you have a pasuk or a statement, right, which is structured in this way, general statement, specification, and then another general statement, there are two methods in which you can, there are two pretty different methods in which it can be interpreted. One method is the method of klal, uprat, uklal. Uh, that's what it's called. Another method is called uh, riba, riboy, miot, riboy. Right, riboy mio to riboy. Two different methods of interpreting it that are quite different. So Rebbe interprets this pasuk right about the menorah, which he then applies to all kalim of the base of mikdash. He interprets it using the methodology of klal uprat uklal. Now the methodology of klal uprat uklal says that when you have a general statement, then a specific statement, and then another general statement, what do you judge? What is the definitive part of that statement? The prat. You'll only rule, you'll make the halachic ruling uh, based on whatever's similar to the prat. Meaning the most definitive part of this statement is the prat, the specification of the statement. And therefore, according to Rebbe, and when it comes to the menorah, it doesn't just say, oh, make a menorah, general, right? Make a menorah, the menorah shall be made. It says, zahav tahar, pure gold. Meaning the menorah or the kalim in the base hamikdash have to be at least ke'en haprat. They've got to be pretty similar to that specification. Um, so if it's not gold, it's got to at least be a metal. Otherwise, it's invalid. Okay, he's using the klalu prat uklal method. Whereas Rabbi Yosef or Rabbi Yehuda is using the different methodology called riboy miot riboy. Um, where riboy in the method of uh, riboy miot riboy, like you're kind of a statement of amplification and then limitation and then another statement of amplification. The, the focus over here, what the, the, it's, it's, a, it's a very different sort of interpretation because according to this, according to this method, the, the focus would be on the reboy. The focus would be on the, the general statement um, or the amplified statement. And basically, the detail is just going to exclude something that is just going to exclude some very something very small. So the the detail in the reboy uh, reboy mio to reboy is going to just exclude something that's like completely opposite. Um, so over here, when it says you know you've got these two general statements, uh, make a menorah or the menorah shall be made, um, and then that's considered a reboy according to Rabbi Yosef. And uh, then the specific statement, right? That specific detail in the middle that it should be a pure gold is just is just basically excluding including something that's the complete opposite of pure gold, which the complete opposite of pure gold is something that's like, you know, if pure, if pure gold or a metal is considered something really solid and very important, the complete opposite would be earthenware. Earthenware is like totally not chashuv, that's a complete opposite. So it's teaching you, if we use the riboy miot, riboy miot, riboy methodology, it says the kingdom of the base of mikdash, it just, you have to make the keli. It can technically be any material except for one little thing, except for earthenware, something that's like the complete opposite of gold. Um, so then two very, uh, so that's, that's the, and that's the basis behind this difference of opinion over whether you're allowed to make a keli 
uh, for the base of Mikdash out of wood. And the Rebbe says, again, this is following the very same shita, because according to Rebbe, whose shita is that unless you've got some strong proof to believe otherwise, we just take, to, we, we understand psukim, we understand expressions kipshutoi. Over here, the, uh, the rule of klalu pratu klal, or in general, would, uh, would be a much better fit with pshat. Right, if we have a pasuk that says make a manure of pure gold, so obviously if you use the klalu pratu klal rule, which would tell you that the manure has got to be made out of something similar to gold, out of a metal, is certainly much more aligned with the pshat understanding of the pasuk than to say you can use anything to make a manure or to make a keli except for earthenware. Right, so because again it's much more aligned with pshat, that's the reason why uh, that's the reason why Rebbe is choosing this method. Of klal of klalu pratu klal, um, whereas whereas Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda is choos- choosing an opposite sort of an, an opposite sort of interpretation. Okay, now in Oisud Gimel, we'll use our, uh, well, this will be our last example. This will be in Seder, uh, Seder Taharois, um, an interesting situation in which it says that if a person uh, travels, right, this, these halachis, they seem so foreign to us nowadays, all the halachis of Tum and Tara, but is brought down, um, I guess, in Mishnah Gemara, for people that are familiar with this, that even for somebody who lives in Eretz Yisrael, even just traveling to Chutz Oretz can make them tummy, uh, because there's this, in Eretz Yisrael, people, um, again, back in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, people were much more uh, careful about halachis of Tumentara. They would make sure that, uh, you know, that uh, any burial spot was, that, that was sort of, you know, sectioned off, um, so that you're not going to be tummy mace or shrubs and people were just much more careful to um to 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 to, um, to sort of like put tummy things on the side um and it would be and and uh and, and it's harder to become tummy whereas in chutzla aretz where you don't have such a you know we, no, nobody's taking such precautions even just walking around in chutzla aretz can be enough to make a person tummy so the gemara says what if somebody goes outside of eretz Yisrael, but they really don't want to become tummy so maybe they sort of make this little box that they walk around in. Um, I don't know if some people might remember back before they built all the gates like around leading up to the Oihel, Koihanim used to also have this uh, sort of like this little box um, that, they, that they would walk that they would walk through the cemetery in um, because that's considered like an Oihel, right? Because then it's considered like they're in their own domain in their own tent, so to speak, um, and not in the domain of the cemetery. So what if somebody goes to Chutzal Aretz, does not want to become Tame, so they sort of make their own little box or something that they walk around in, are they considered tummy or not? So according to Rebbe, Rebbe says that person is still tummy, doesn't help. But Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda says that, no, it works. That method works and the person would be taher. The Rebbe explains what's going on over here. Or, or actually, the Gemara explains what's their rationale. It says that according to Rebbe, this is not considered, this box is not considered a real oil because it's an oil zaruk, because it's like this movable, it's like this movable tent, right? A real tent is something that's stationary, that you set up, it stays in one place. Uh, that would have the halacha, that would have the din of an oil. 
So the Rebbe, again, is going kipshutoi. He says, if we're trying to say, oh, you want to make an oihel in order to separate you from the tumor of Chutz La'aretz, um, it's got to be a real, it's got to be like a kipshutoi, a real sort of oihel that's not moving around with you. That's not an oihel. Um, so if this box is moving with you, not an oihel, you're still tummy. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says, oihel zaruk, it doesn't matter. Even if it's this movable sort of box, a movable sort of tent or whatever, that's still considered a proper oihel, right? We have this looser interpretation of the term oihel, and therefore he holds that, uh, therefore he holds that the person would be tar. So this is really the end of the sicha. Like I said, really a nigla sicha the, uh, does not actually include um, any chasidus, at least in the edited version of the sicha. I'll just maybe throw in something nice from the unedited version of the sicha that I uh, actually heard when I, I listened to the audio of it. Um, it was, the Rebbe explains, this is getting back to the wood, um, that when it comes to this wood that was brought to the base of Mikdash or brought as a carbon, there was sort of three steps uh, or three stages uh, as through three stages of I guess the existence of this wood initially they were part of a forest it was just trees standing in a forest and then at some point these trees are cut down and brought to the base of Mikdash to be used as part of the Ma'arocho um, the ma- to, to be used as part of the Ma'arocho the Ma'arocho meaning when it's used as a Ma'arocho it's not an actual carbon it's a Machshir carbon right it helps to facilitate the carbonis it helps to uh, prepare right it kind of prepares the Mizbeach to be able to burn up carbonis and then we said some of the wood was actually brought on the Mizbeach as its own carbon. So it's sort of like these three categories or these three stages. And the Rebbe explains what this means in Avoida. He says, a person is compared to a tree. We say, Kia Adam eats Hasada. A person is compared to a tree. So Jasa, and, uh, you know, and there's another puzzle. Boratius, where it says that Ayer para Adam Yivalid, um, literally translated that a person is born, like naturally you're born as like a wild donkey, right? You're this untamed sort of donkey. It says Ayer, though, has the same, wor- has the same letters as the word Yar, which means forest. Um, that a person is not just compared to a donkey, but in a sense, a person like initially in their natural state is compared to like sort of like this wild forest, wild or untamed forest um, of trees. So that's initially, right? Initially, you're sort of just like this wood or these trees in the forest. Then step two, you have to start doing avoida. You take the tree and, you, uh, and, we, and we use it as a machshir carbon to facilitate carbonis. Rebbe says what this would be is really, I guess, the step of chinuch, um, where your edu- education, where people are, there's uh, educating yourself or Torah learning, that's what sets the person up. That's what uh, helps to prepare the person um, and facilitate the avoida of karbanis, help to prepare the person to do their real avoida. And the third step is when you take the wood and offer it on the mezbeach as a carbon, which means uh, that's the real avoida when you take whatever it is that you have and do that avoida of elevating it or refining your animal soul, um, etc. Again, that would be, I guess, the ultimate stage of that existence of the, the wood or the trees, um, etc.